This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 133. Uh, what dialect are you speaking? Of the in-between podcast where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel M. And I'm Christina M. Well, today we are uh, talking speaking about English? Yeah, languages, <laughs> yeah. dialects, but more from the perspective of the five love languages and how they relate to blended families. Yes, we are privileged to welcome back Ron L. Deal as he talks about building love together in blended families. We have previous podcasts with Ron that literally blew our minds. If mm-hmm. you've listened to them, you know exactly what I mean. So we'll make sure to include all of the previous podcasts with him in our show notes that's in between.org slash episode 133 yeah now but before you hit pause or delete and you're like well i'm not in a blended family and this doesn't apply to me we really do want to encourage you to stick it through to the end because i mean like we talked about in our previous episodes with him you may not directly be in a blended family but you likely have relationships in and around you that are blended that you could be of help to uh, and also just understand more so. And and there's, I mean, even there's some stuff that he talks about in regards to how loss and grief block attachment. And, and there's, I mean, literally, there's so much within this episode that whether you are in a blended family or not, you're going to find incredible help and applicability too. So we know you're going to love this episode. Why don't you share a little bit more about Ron and we'll get into it. Yeah, sure. So Ron is a marriage and family author, conference speaker, and licensed therapist. His top-selling books, online articles, and podcast, Family Life Blended, that's what it's called, and many, many other things that he is doing just to bless the world and teach them about how blended families can really blend together. All right, let's listen in. Ron, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast again. We so appreciate the time we're going to have together. Well, thanks, guys. It's always a joy to be back with you. So we want to talk to you about a book that you co-authored with Gary Chapman called Building Love Together in Blended Families, The Five Love Languages and Becoming Step Family Smart. We are so thankful for this resource because we know, and we'll unpack it a little bit later, that this is so timely and something that I know we can all benefit from. But for those who have never heard of the five love languages before or who need maybe just a quick refresher, can you break down each love language? for us. Yeah, you know, um, since this book came out, Gary and I have spent time together speaking and traveling together, and it's really been a lot of fun hearing the backstory to the the five love languages. He essentially sat down at one point in his career, and it's probably been the original book came out, I think, 25 years ago uh, at, at this point. So it's been around so long. It sold millions of copies worldwide. Um, he sat down and he just started asking himself, what are the things I hear people complaining about in counseling? What are the themes and what are the, what are the similarities? And what he discovered is that really for a lot of people, what they're looking for is love expressed through different languages, if you will. Thus he called them the five love languages. Mm -hmm. And he, and he 
He boiled them down, words of affirmation, gifts, you know, gifts that you receive from people, uh, physical touch, quality time, and acts of service. Those are kind of the big categories of languages, if you will, that people speak to one another and really want to receive love in the, those various forms. So a, a real quick example is, is my wife, who quality time rises to the top of her list. If I just spend time with her and I am not distracted, all right? Now, Gary would call that a, a dialect, all right? <laughs> that, that you're tuning in, that, you know, everywhere, everybody speaks English in North America, but we all have different dialects in terms of specific words and, and accents and different things about it. And so mm-hmm. learning your partner's not only language, core language, but how it's spoken to them is really that art of becoming a really good lover. So for my wife, quality time, undivided. My cell phone is off and it's turned down and I don't pick it up when it dings. And uh, I do everything I can to keep that from invading our time. That adds up to something she calls love. Hmm. She feels loved as a result of me spending quality time with her. We all have a love language. We tend to speak it (laughs) to other people. Um, that's a really interesting thing. You want to know somebody else's love language? Just ask yourself, what do they do for me? How do they demonstrate mm, that? Right. Do, do they give me compliments? Do they, you know, it, listen and you'll kind of notice probably what theirs are. You can go online, fivelovelanguages.com, and you can actually take a little profile and learn a lot about yourself and your spouse. And that's a, that's a good thing to do. So Gary developed that concept and then just started encouraging people, hey, pay attention. Notice what's going on with the other people in your life, your children, your family, your spouse. And when it re- when you really want it to matter, to count, maybe is the way to say it, mm-hmm. speak their specific love language. All of us need all five love languages, but there's one that really, really touches our heart. So when you want it to matter, pick that one out and go for it. Love that. Words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. You know, these five love languages have been a staple in, in many families and homes for years, as mm. you've said. I mean, like 25 I mean, years. It's, it's crazy. And, <laughs> yeah. and millions and millions of copies of the book. Um, but I guess for this book that you co-wrote together with him and, and really for the purpose of our podcast, we want to double click or kind of zoom in on blended families. Uh, so I guess the second question is uh, in, in regards to the unique areas that you noticed, like what, what were those in yeah. blended families uh, that really encourage you to write this, to co-write this for the step family? Well, imagine my predicament. I have known Gary for years. Um, I appreciate his work. Uh, he has been a huge endorser of my work through the years. Every once in a while, we'd meet up at a conference. In fact, uh, one of them was in Edmonton, Alberta, where we were there for the Break Forth Conference. And we went and had dinner together and started getting to know one another. And imagine what it was like for me to spend time with him, this guy that I really, really admire, and say to him, hey, Gary, I think you missed something. (laughs) You know, That's essentially what I was saying when I brought this up. I I didn't say it in that tone. You know what I'm saying? I have way too much respect for that man. But that's kind of what I was saying. You know, here he wrote this core book, The Five Love Languages. They've, he's had a number of spinoffs in terms of different applications to parenting and with teenagers and the love languages and the, for military families and on and on it goes. And there was something that was missing in all of it. And he said, well, what is that? And I said, well, 
you have a big assumption in the five love languages and the principles of applying it. And the assumption is this, the person you're trying to love actually wants you to love them in that manner. And I, (laughs) and I said, yeah, what, what if the person doesn't really want that from you? So here's the application for blended families, just immediately right out of the chute. You're a step parent. You are really trying hard to develop a relationship with, you got three stepchildren and, you know, one of them's a teenager and one of them's 10 and one of them's eight. And, and, uh, you know, you've been in their life for two years when you were dating their parent. And now you've been married for a couple of years and it just seems like you're stuck in your relationship. Like you want to take it further. You want to develop what I, you know, familyness is what I like to call it. And so one of these kids is their love language is quality time. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say you're the stepdad mom spends quality time with that kid. He glows. He just beams and he is in a wonderful, you know, attitude. And he just, you can see him glowing and walking around the house and the stepdad does it. And the kid's like, A, I don't want to spend that much time with you. Hmm. And B, no, thank you. I'd rather spend it with my mom or or my biological dad. Hmm. And so you're like, well, wait a minute. I thought this love language thing would work. See, the difference is somebody's motivation to give love and receive love has everything to do with whether or not you can even speak their language. Hmm. And so Gary and I had to spend a book backing up and writing about those assumptions and writing about the underlying dynamic going on in that stepdad, stepchild relationship and why applying the right love language can get you the wrong result. It's a matter of timing. It's a matter of understanding and you know, we just had to try to help people, you know, break down the layers and then begin to see how using the love languages in the best manner, the wise manner, will will eventually deepen your relationship, but it's a matter of timing. Huh. I like I said already, mic drop. Like my mind's exploding and I know yours is too, podcast family. And this is why we want to talk to Ron, right? Because we really do, we really want to learn to speak the dialect of love to each of our family members. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ron, we love to get into the nitty-gritty of how to do this. So just as a follow-up question, because I know our podcast family's ears are perked already. So use the example of the um, um, stepchild really enjoying and feeling love as uh, quality time. And that's how they received it from their mom and maybe did not receive it the same way from their stepdad. So could you walk our podcast family through now that you've realized that as mm-hmm. a step parent, uh, what do we do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, well, a couple of things. First of all, let me just back up and say, all right, Let's talk about motivation for a minute. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody listening right now can think of a relationship or a time in your life where you were pursuing a relationship with someone, let's say a friendship, and it might have been in ninth grade, you know, really cool kid. You thought, boy, I really want to make friends with that one. And, uh, you know, you try to do a couple things to become their friend, hang out with them. And they're like, hmm, talk to the hand. I don't (laughs) really have time for you. Right. Like, I don't need you. You're not cool enough. Whatever that little game was, we've all been there where we pursued somebody who did not want to be pursued. That speaks to motivation. Your motivation to have a relationship was higher than their motivation to have a relationship with you. Hmm. A lot of people listening right now have had a really hard breakup relationship, a dating relationship, a serious relationship you thought was headed towards engagement or marriage, and then it wasn't because your motivation was higher than the other person's. Somebody's listening, you've been through a divorce. 
you really know what it is to have high motivation to try to save a marriage and the other person won't. Mm. I mean, that's a hard thing when you're chasing them more than they're chasing you. By the way, a lot of people listening right now who are married have this dynamic ongoing in their Mm. relationship. One of you is the higher desire for closeness, for communication, for sexual intimacy, for uh, spending time together. And you kind of feel like you're always having to pull the other person into that space. And you wonder why they don't want to have the same motivation you do to enjoy that same sort of connection. Mm. And it makes you feel insecure at the end of the day. It makes you feel like, wow, I don't know how safe I am in this relationship. It feels like I love you more than you love me. Now, that is universal. Apply that with a love language. A a step-parent, again, trying to win the heart of of a stepchild. Maybe your stepchild is an adult. Maybe they're 30 years of age, Mm, and they don't really need another parent in their life at age 30, but here you are trying to make friends with them. What do you do when the other person's not as motivated as you are? Mm -hmm. One of the things you have to do is slow down a little bit, ask yourself, what's going on with me? (laughs) Uh, What am I feeling here? What am I chasing? What's this sense of insecurity in me? And what do I, how do I manage myself if I can't get the other person to love me the way I want them mm-hmm. to love me? And that speaks to where's my worth and my value in Christ and what, what's the source of, of my esteem in this world? If it has to come from you, then I'm kind of in trouble, right? Right. Yeah, right. You know, now I'm walking around going, I'm, I guess I'm worthless because you won't love me the way mm-hmm. I feel like I want you to love me. You you're not interested in intimacy the way I wish you were interested. Like all of a sudden that really unravels a person's soul unless your worth and value does not have to ultimately come from your spouse. So I offer that to everybody listening in whatever relationship you can apply it to. To think about blended family specifically, I offer that to a step-sibling who's really thrilled you finally got a brother. You've never had a brother before, but he doesn't have time for you. Mm. Or to that step-parent who's who's trying so hard, doing everything right, but you got a 16-year-old stepchild who just doesn't need that from you. First of all, we got to acknowledge that it's it's understandable that one person's motivation is higher than the others. In blended families, that's a common dynamic where the adult, often a step-parent, or even the biological parent is hoping hey, that my kid and my spouse can now you know, have a great relationship. So the adults are highly motivated mm-hmm. and the children somewhat in the middle, somewhat something less than high, okay? Yeah, yeah. There, there are some stepchildren that don't have hardly any motivation at all. A scale of one to 10, there are two. Um, but most step most stepchildren are somewhere like five, seven, somewhere in that range. But the step parents are nine, yeah. and there's the gap. And in that gap, you can find insecurity. You can get resentful if you're not careful. You can become embittered. You can't do that. You got to say, why is that kid just a five? Well, mm-hmm. he's sixteen. He misses his dad. I'm his stepdad. What he really wants is mom and dad together, but that's not going to happen. And so he's disappointed, he's a little agitated and irritated about how all of this has come down, and he's 16. He's got his own world, his own things that he's invested in, and people and relationships, and he just doesn't need time with me as much as he really needs time with his mom Mm -hmm. and with his dad and his grandparents and the people that are the most important to him. So I, as a step-parent in that moment, have to step back, take a deep breath, and say, how do I love him 
even though I don't expect much in return. I expect a five in return, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. a nine in return. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Well, Ron, this is okay. This is okay. This is like blowing my mind right now. (laughs) And I I have a million (laughs) follow up questions that I just, I'm like, I can't, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. (laughs) Okay. But before, and I I know, I mean, there's, we, I honestly, we should just turn our mics off and let you talk. (laughs) Um, But I just, I just really wanted to reiterate what you said there because I feel like it was a a huge light bulb moment um, for our podcast family. Sometimes you just got to look in the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 the and the love and and the and the 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 fact that you're looking at this relationship and you're like, man, why aren't they, or why isn't it going? Why can't they mm-hmm. just, right. you know? I love what you said, Ron. You know, what if we actually recognize where our motivation is, mm-hmm. and uh, not even just the number, but am I trying? Am I am I placing my worth on how they react? Mm-hmm. and how they and and and, and and is there's actually something do i do i see myself right through the lens that they are seeing me right. or am i seeing myself through the lens that god is seeing me so i mean that's that's huge run so i guess before you keep on going i just had a couple questions sure does the motivation on the child side differ generally speaking uh, based on their age and and the second one is is does the motivation differ based off of whether um their their dad or their mom uh passed away and and is not in their life or if they are still in their life but you know just living 30 minutes down the road sort of thing uh, there are probably a dozen different factors that affect motivation okay okay but a, a couple of the biggies are well, first of all, loss always has a way of kind of getting in the way of of connecting into new relationships. Okay. Loss kind of blocks, and loss and grief, I should say, blocks attachment. Now, that's true for adults and children. Like when you're sad over an old, a friend who just kind of dumped you, you, you know, you're not necessarily eager to make a new friend. You, there's, there's, there's a hesitation mm-hmm. in us. Somebody's been through a, a, a divorce where the, your spouse left. You know, that rejection hurts. Like, you really got to think twice about making a new commitment because you're putting yourself back into a place of vulnerability. And and kids are kind of like that. But for them, it's more about if I'm not able to maintain the connection and the time and investment with my biological parents the way I really want it, Mm -hmm. then it's hard for me to open myself to somebody new. Mm -hmm. If If my parent died, right, what I really want is mom here. Yeah. Um, stepmom's great. She's nice. She's wonderful. She's amazing. She's a servant, but she's not my mom. Mm. So it's not necessarily a cut on the step parent as much as it is a longing for the parent they can't really have. And, and that's just, you know, that's one of those factors. Age is another factor, you know, teenagers and young adults, and then adults, um, you know, 30, 40 year olds whose parent gets married again at age 70 or something. 
you know, they're longing to have a mother. No, I mean, that didn't even make sense to yeah. adults. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, age is one of those factors. Space. Uh, one more thing I'll throw out there is if the child has really been hurt by a choice that the parent has made in the past that has now led to perhaps a family divorce and now this new marriage, if they're hurt by that parent, it's almost like if I receive your spouse, my Mm step-parent now, it's almost like I'm saying it was okay what you did back then. And no, it it wasn't okay. So there's a a wall in my heart towards the step-parent. So again, the step parent may go, well, I know what your love language is. It's words of affirmation. Let me, let me pay you a compliment. And the kid may turn a cold shoulder to the compliment. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's as if, if I receive the compliment from you, it's it's as if I'm saying, I receive you. It's okay. I'm accepting your, your relationship with my parent and everything my parent did in the past. Like it's all connected. And that's what makes it hard. Um, And the bottom line here is, no matter where, so if there's a relationship you're striving for, but you can tell the other person is not equally motivated, mm-hmm. you have to meet them where they are. You have to lower your expectations. Mm-hmm. You have to turn down your desire, not get rid of it. Don't give up. That is not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying rechannel it in a way that is at a volume where the other person can receive it. Uh, if your volume is so high, it blows their ears out. They're not listening. But if the but if the volume is a five instead of a nine on a ten scale, then all of a sudden maybe that child can receive the five. Yeah. And so here's here's what that looks like: words of affirmation. Think about this: if if you met a stranger today on the street, of course you couldn't say hello or even get close to them because of the COVID pandemic. <laughs> yeah. But if you if you could, in 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 the world we hope to get back to someday. Uh, if you met a stranger and you walked up to him and looked him in the eye and said, I love you, <laughs> what would happen? Prepare for a what punch in it? the face. Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. Yeah. Right? So like there's levels of words of affirmation. That's right. what Gary and I call level three. Like you better have a relationship that is established and you better have trust and they better know where you're coming from before you go to level three. Mm-hmm. Now you start at level one right? and you say, and you say, well, I've heard some good things about you. I'm glad to finally meet you. Something, you know, generic and something genuine, mm-hmm. but you're not trying to get deep intimacy in that moment. You're just trying to connect at a level they can receive. Now that sounds like a simple little thing. We all do this day in and day out in work relationships and friendships and new neighbors and people at church. But in family groups, we have high expectations. Yeah. And so we we go for level three long before it really makes sense. Hmm. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, I love how you're talking about levels and uh, just what is going on in each person's life and in their head and being able to grow in empathy as well of what the other Mm -hmm. person might be experiencing. So to be able to zoom in a little bit on Ron about what you said about the steps um, and even as you are unpacking maybe what the stepchild is going through and all of the different motivations, um, what would a step parent do 
if they've gotten to step three, right? Because the child was open to that and then something happened or something clicked because, mm-hmm. you know, we all have different things that happen in our life. Yes. And then they go yes. back to step one. Yeah, something's been triggered. Exactly. And, yeah. So as a step parent, is that sort of a dance? Like I'm following you when you take a step one, I'm in step one. If you want to go to step four, I'm going to try to go to step four. Like how does that dance work? Christina, you nailed it. It is a dance, and you dance with the person you're dancing with. Yeah, uh, if yeah. if you were dancing the waltz, and all of a sudden they start to do the tango, then you got to shift gears and you got to go with them. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, this is a bit schizophrenic for step parents, and and this is why our ministry, I should mention, Family Life Blended. What this is what we do is equip and encourage and empower people, and help make sense of this kind of stuff. But uh, imagine a step parent who goes to a small group at their church or a virtual group meeting with other step family couples and they have three people go, Oh yeah, me too. It's the same thing. It's hot one day. It's cold the next with my, with one of my stepchildren, not all of them, but one of them. And that step parent goes, Oh, it's not just me. Okay, good. So what am I supposed to do? Okay. Back up. You were really enjoying quality time, but now they're like back to, no, I really don't want to spend quality time with you. Mm -hmm. You got to just step back a little bit and it's hard. Now, I, what I'm not saying is that you let a child walk all over you, you let a child badmouth you or disrespect you. No, we're not saying any of that, right? But we are saying when it comes to that emotional connection that you're longing for, there's nothing wrong with your longing. It's just you got to have it on both ends. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're if you try to get it out of them on your timing, it's going to make the child feel unsafe with you, and they're going to even back up even further. Wow. Yeah. So you have to meet them where they are. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, Ron, the the title of your book, we we love it, Building Love Together in Blended Families. And, and we'd love to uh, do a little bit of a shift in our episode toward that and to really ask you how the five love languages can help blended families build love. Mm. Uh, so mm-hmm. so let's start with that that marriage coupleness relationship and and then we'll get to step parenting and and then the sibling relationships. Yeah, so here's one tip using the love languages as a tool. We talk about in the book that you some partners have to unlearn something they learned in a previous marriage and relearn that in, in a new marriage. Mm-hmm. The, one of the stories we tell is about a guy that I uh, interviewed for the book who said yeah, my first wife who had passed away and my second wife have the same love language. I said, hey, that's convenient. He goes, yeah, it's quality time. And then he said, but they have totally different dialects. And so when I married my second wife, my first wife's dialect was time together, quality time together. But we didn't necessarily have to be um, looking at each other or talking. We could be watching a movie together. We could be enjoying one of our kids, you know, softball games or something at school. Mm-hmm. He said that to her counted as quality time. So I just made the same assumption <laughs> when I got married the second time. And what I discovered is that no quality time to my wife now means looking at each other, no TV, um, talking, interacting and sharing. Um, so same language, different dialect. He mm-hmm. had to unlearn the past. He had to wow. relearn the present. You know, and we all do that. We yeah. we learn, we wrap our lives around one another when we live together in a marriage and family, right? And so yeah. there's a yeah. thousand little things you learn to do that uh, get along, that go and serve the other person 
And you don't even realize after a while, you still do those things. It's so much a part of your life. And Nan and I have been married for 35 years. And there's a hundred things that I do because I know it helps her that if you ask me why I do those things, I'd go, I'm not sure why I do. Oh, wait. That, oh, that's connected to something I learned that helps her. And that, that's a, just a given. And then all of a sudden, you have to stop those, <laughs> shut that down in your heart yeah. and turn on something different. It's just a little process. It's not terribly difficult, but it does take some intentionality. Well, that's huge. Just that paradigm of unlearning and learning. Mm-hmm. And even if there's the same language, love language, different dialect. Yeah, the is, subdialects. I mean, that's, that's incredible for um, those of our podcast family who are who, who do need to do that um, within that relationship. So so that's that's very helpful. Why don't we move to the step parenting side of things? How can mm-hmm. the five love languages help with that? Okay, so we've already talked a little bit about meeting them where meeting the child where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, if I could put a word to that, it would be patience. You know, it's it's I see you as a person who has your own motivation about family and about relationships, and you have a loyalty to your biological parent who's not with us, not in this house. And so I need to respect all of that as I approach you. I do think you want to continue to pursue that child and the relationship. You're just going to do it with wisdom rather than on your timetable, for example, you're going to allow them to kind of set the pace for how you develop the relationship. And that Mm. setting the pace, I think, is really huge. When step parents who have inadvertently, they've been pushing, they didn't realize it, but they just kind of came on really strong. Like, let me just give you an example. This is sort of a classic thing. I've had people say, many, many times through the years. Hey, we don't have any steps in our household. Everybody, they're all my children. Whether they're biologically mine or not, they're Mm -hmm. all my children. And I say, I love that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I know the heart and sentiment behind that. What you're saying is, I am choosing to be committed to all of these kids. And so I don't even want to use the word step family in anything. Mm -hmm. That's great. I guarantee you, if I ask the child how they feel about this, they will say, oh, yeah, this is my stepmom. They have a clear distinction in their heart and their mind. So when you say to a child, no, I'm not your stepmom, I'm your mom, I know the good intentions you have, but what the child hears is you just ran over their biological mother, living or deceased at this point. You've just tried to erase them and replace them, and that will veto you in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So you have to respect where the child is. That's you're going to pursue at a pace with patience, yeah, right? Yeah. That that those little tips right there are huge, and you can use the love languages as tools to help you move in that direction. One one more quick example, mm-hmm. and then we can move on to another um, another family relationship. But we talked about levels of using the love languages. Start at level one, level right. two, and mm-hmm. then as the relationship deep, deepens, you can go to level three. But you can also select love languages that are easier to give on the front end that people will receive. So for example, if you met a stranger today and Christina said, you know, I think I want to do something nice for them. You might take them a little gift, mm-hmm. you know, make, yeah. make them something to eat, you know, uh, share with them kind of something that is special to your family that has meaning and you give it to them. It doesn't have to cost a dime, but all of a sudden that gift is symbolic of something. And you know what? Even a stranger 
will probably receive your gift. I don't know. People have give me money. I take it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Thank you I don't have to know you and value you to take your money. Yeah. So think about that. A step-parent can give words of affirmation and compliments, not say nice things about a child. They can give little gifts mm-hmm. to a child. They can do acts of service. Nah, don't worry about it. I will empty the dishwasher for you so you can get to your homework. That's something you can do for a stranger. That right. the child does not have to love and appreciate you mm. for you to be able to do those love language. Their love language might actually be physical touch. You're not going for the best and the brightest love language for that child. You're starting with what they can receive. Love that. Words of affirmation. Yeah. Huh, Guess what? You yeah. know, do that for a while, buy some time, develop a relationship. And then one day when you give them a hug, they give you a hug back. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I love that. Love that. It's super helpful and, and practical. So let's just touch on the sibling relationship, and then we'll get to our next question. Okay, this is, um, it's the same principle that I just shared, but oftentimes what's happening here is that a parent is helping a child. I mean, this is fairly common. I don't want to say it's very common, but fairly common. You have one step sibling who's more motivated towards developing a a great relationship with their new step sibling Mm -hmm. than the other is. And, you know, the story is often something like um, a little girl who's never had brothers, uh, you know, a little boy who's never had a sister and or or a little boy who's you know, eight, who's now he's got a big brother who's 14 and cool and can do all the stuff the eight-year-old can't do. And the 14-year-old's like, dude, get out of my face. I do not need you, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it hurts that eight-year-old's feelings. And he goes to his mom or his dad, a biological parent often, and, and says, what do I do? Why don't they want to spend any time with me? And it's so hard. It breaks your heart as a parent. Well, one of the things you can do is coach them around this whole thing of, you know what? Think of him as a new friend. And um, right now, you want to spend more time with him than he wants to spend with you. But he's not saying he doesn't love you or like you. It's just he has other things. You explain all that. Mm -hmm. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try giving him a compliment every now and then? And let's just start with that. You kind of coach the child in a direction that is more um, uh, that is more fitting to where the fourteen year old is. Hmm. You're just trying to help them get started. Yeah. So okay. So I love that um, example and uh, that tip. Now, would the uh, biological parent 
is there a need to talk to the 14 year old about how we're treating the younger stepchild or is Absolutely. that like, okay? Sure. Yeah. You know, you do that in biological families because right. that same dynamic happens in biological yeah. families. That's true. You know what I mean? But they have what's here's what's different. And this is really important that people hear this. What What's different there is that they do have this automatic. Yeah, we are family thing under the surface. Now, 14 year olds get really irritated with little siblings, mm-hmm. but he's my brother and don't nobody mess with my brother. Right. There's a sense of ownership about that relationship that runs very deep. Mm. Um, in step families, that sense of ownership of familyness is not there until it's developed, until it's grown and nurtured. Okay. And so you can't, you don't have that to fall back on. Right. So yeah, go to the 14 year old and just talk about decency and treating one another with kindness and respect in our household. You don't have to love your eight year old brother. Mm-hmm. Here, let me say that again, because this is, you don't have to love. I couldn't make you if I told you to love. You have to love in a way that we love all people. But you don't have to love him like he's your brother. Mm -hmm. You do have to be kind. You do have to be helpful. And when he tries to spend a little time with you, every once in a while, you need to give him a few minutes because that's just one of the kind things that we're going to do for one another in this family. when When you say you don't have to love them, what you're giving the child permission to do is figure it out on their own without this heavy expectation of, of uh, you know, having some magic family moment sort of thing. <laughs> Let People can figure this out. Kids will figure this out. With time, yeah. most members of blended families figure out how they're going to get along with one another. It's mm-hmm. not unlike... It's not unlike when you marry somebody, right? Christina, mm-hmm. when she married Daniel, I have no I have no idea what Daniel's extended family is like. But Christina didn't have automatic connection with brother-in-law, sister-in-laws, yeah. in-laws, mm-hmm. etc. You have to figure that out on your own and you kind of have a basic respect when you when you walk into that, but you don't know the specifics until yeah. time and effort help you work that out. That's a good parallel to what yeah. it takes in blended families as well. Yeah. Love that. I love that parallel you're using, uh, Ron and podcast family. I, I hope you're, you're encouraged as well, that there's a lot of tools that maybe you didn't have before in your tool belt that you can apply to your current situation. But Ron, for those of our podcast family that are, I mean, they're the real and raw feelings of rejection by their stepchildren mm-hmm. or even extended step families. And perhaps they've picked up the book already and and they've read it, and they've tried using the five love languages, but they're really not seeing any headway. Um, as our final question, Ron, is there anything you'd like to say to them to encourage them? Yes, two things. Number one, sometimes what feels like rejection is not really rejection. And number two, try to lead with love, even if it is rejection. Okay, mm-hmm. so let me unpack those. What often feels like rejection is just a child who's confused. Hmm. Um, We've kind of alluded to it already. A child who has lost their biological mom for whatever reason. It's not that I hate my stepmom. It's just you're not my mom. So what I want, I can't have. So it feels kind of weird to, you know, make a space in my heart for you. It's almost like, I'm. am I turning my back on my mom? I don't want to do that. Living or deceased, I'm not going to turn my back on my mother. So until a child figures that out, they just can't warm up to you very well. A little bit, Mm -hmm. but not a lot. That's not rejection. That's confusion. Mm -hmm. And you have to see that and understand it, get below the surface and say, you know what? 
Jesus is my source of who I am and my value. And uh, because I don't have your approval right now, I'm still going to continue. Here's number two, to lead with love. Hmm. Love is the most powerful force in the entire universe. And if you are not swayed, if you just gently, persistently meet that child who's a four or five on a 10 scale, continually meet them at a five over time, in spite of however cold they might get on bad days, they often, more often than not, come to appreciate who you are and finally say, I'll give you a six. And that's how it progresses. But you just have to be patient and pursue at a pace they can receive. Wow. Ron, there's been so much in this episode that have, I know for me, uh, within and and Christina and I aren't um, like we're not a step family, but we have blended family dynamics within our family, and and mm. even from that perspective, just so much that I could be like, okay, yeah, well, <laughs> I know I know what I can apply today, mm-hmm, exactly. um, mm. and and even something you said earlier, how loss and grief blocks attachment. Um, just bringing in that into this whole dynamic, whether you are a part of a blended family or not, I find. You know, there, there's so much, there, there's there's so many takeaways from this episode. So thank you, Ron, for your time and, and for your wisdom. What's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about your ministry uh, if, if they want to uh, do follow-up? Yeah, I'm associated with Family Life here in the U.S. So familylife.com slash blended will get you specifically to our section. I also have a number of other ministries that I work with, some online. We're doing uh, virtual classes and different things. Another website people can go to to find all of that, podcast, resources, books, online videos, all the above. (laughs) Go to smartstepfamilies.com, smartstepfamilies.com. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Ron. Thank you for having me. You know, if we kept on going, we probably could do another two-part episode. Oh, completely. It was just so there were so good. many things I'm like, oh, I could apply this to our family, yes. even though oh, we're yeah. not a blended family, or oh, this would really help this family. And even the fact about learning the dialects of yes, the five right. love languages, I really do think that applies to uh, all sorts of families, whether you're blended or not, because especially when he was using that example about uh, the the wife who had passed away that had yeah, the same right. love language. and the uh, current wife who just would appreciate it in a different dialect. Mm -hmm. That works for our kids too, y'all. That our kids in our own family can have the same love language, but how they receive them and how we speak to them, the different dialect can just be even nuanced further to show them how much we love and care for them. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening into this episode. And you know, there's there's probably someone who came to mind while you were listening to this episode. Perhaps it's someone you know who is dealing with some of the dynamics that we were talking about in this episode in, in the blended families, either because they are experiencing that dynamic right now or they have um, they, they experienced it growing up and they're like, oh, that makes so much more sense and, and this and, and their connections and, and neurons firing and all that. So we would just be honored if you would share this episode with them in between.org slash episode 133 or you could just hit the share button on your favorite podcasting app and send that over to them as well. Once again, all the show notes and everything that we've talked about are there on our website. So we do want to encourage you to to check that out. And if you haven't been to inbetween.org, 
recently, uh, please do visit because it's a brand new website and uh, we have a lot of. It's so pretty. Yes, it is really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a little. It was our Christmas project. Uh, as two. I think it's my Christmas present. Yeah. No. <laughs> sure, I'll take it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for listening in, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>